Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Varsity Voice. My name is Noah Dau, and thank you for joining us. We have a wonderful conversation with Delio Gundikin from Hamilton, Ontario, a good friend of mine as well. He is a two-time All-Canadian, two-time Player of the Year, and generally just a good dude. Uh, we have a wonderful conversation about how Delhi got into basketball, as well as the challenges he faces as a visible minority climbing the corporate ladder in North America. Uh, we also talk about how our parents embraced our university decisions and how they might have been different. So I hope you enjoy it. It's a really great conversation. It goes a couple of interesting ways. And uh, yeah, give it a listen. All right, Deli. So let's uh, let's just start by talking about your career at McGill. Like as you reflect, what are some of like the high moments? High moments, I guess, would be when starting off winning those Quebec championships. The first first year, getting a taste of that that victory, yeah. and wanting more. Um, not quite having the performance as we did at nationals, but over the five years, like we've gotten better each and every year. But one of the main things over the five years is the friendships and the the bonds you build with the guys. Like. Guys, guys, I meet here. I'll know for the rest of my life that you know we'll always have that bond of these five years together at McGill. You know, what I think is a really cool thing about that is um, when you come in as a first year, you have friends that are fifth years, right? That are those are your vets, mm-hmm. and then once you are a fifth year, you're going to have rookies that are going to be your friends. So like, like um, Simon Bibo and Sam Jenkins are connected in a weird way through through you, you know. And that's like I, I remember when we were driving back from Laval, and I'm sitting with Frank and Alex and. I'm reflecting on, like, what a great group. Like, just because we've been successful recently, like, McGill Basketball mm-hmm. is not, it's not, a, it's not really a brand, like, has history and stuff, just because... Not yet. Not yet. But, no, that's, <laughs> that's what I'm getting to is, you know, with, with the success we've had recently, the past five, six, seven years, you know, we're starting to build, like, this li- like little young alumni that, like, hopefully if, you know, if we still have a, comp- a great coach like Dave... I mean, it's, it really hinges on Dave because he does all the recruiting. And mm-hmm. if the team keeps doing well, winning breeds winning. It's, you know, uh, we're going to keep growing that kind of like alumni network. And it's, it's going to be cool how like we're going to have like events and like Simon Bibo and Sam Jenkins are going to just meet each other. And like they never played together, wouldn't know each other otherwise, both in different fields. But like they're connected through like us, you know. Mm-hmm. No, it's interesting how you put that, that the timeline is like it's like a 10 year gap from Simon to Sam Jenkins. But they were at the games this year, like supporting us. The oh, championship for sure. And that's, the be- and that's the best part is like when we play and you see the guys like who like we've learned a lot from and like, uh, like close friends too, you know, just, just our buddies. But like, it's cool to see like that's our, that's picking up momentum and yeah, it'll be cool to see where that goes. Kind of similarly, what do you think are some of like, not negative, but like what are the lows? First year ended off well with us winning championships and, and as well as nationals, as I said, but after first year uh, I had to get surgery on my wrist. So that was kind of a setback because I haven't really dealt with, uh, I've dealt with broken bones and uh, ankles and knees when I was younger, but now at this level where it's more competitive and it's a, a higher level of basketball, having that injury was something I had to deal with. So over the summer, my first year to second year, I had surgery and I had to rehab the whole summer. And I, I remember was, you didn't, like, they didn't think you were going to play until November, my first year. Yeah. And you were just hanging out. And I remember, I remember thinking, wow, like, this dude must be really good because Coach was always talking to you. Like, Coach didn't talk to anybody else. Like, he would come <laughs> into a gym and just sit and just watch all, like, all grumpy. And, but, like, if Deli was there, he'd sit next to Deli. He'd be making jokes to Deli. I'm like, wow, that must be his guy. So that's why I was like, <laughs> this guy must be good because Coach loves this guy. <laughs> yeah, that, that summer was, it was depressing just because I didn't really do much. I just watched Netflix all day. I was, I was a hermit, you could say, for, for that summer. Came back a little bit over, overweight. But uh, second year was a year I struggled because all my numbers went down, and I think 
it some way had to do with my injury, but yeah. I didn't respond the way I should have. Yeah, but I, you know, looking back, so your second year was my first year. And if we look back on the past four years playing together, that was definitely our, our worst team. If you, if you really think about it. And then if you compare it relative to the teams we were playing, I think, um, I think that was the one where, you know, we, 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 did, we did well for what we, ha- what we were, you know? Like, we, you know, we still, won, we still run the regular season. And we knew, I think we knew during the season that Bishops at the time was the, the most talented team, right? But we, we, just, we kind of over, we overperformed. But still, yeah, I, I'm, I know what you're saying. But, like, and I think that would be the same for me because, like, the past three years we've won and had, had great seasons and gotten better. But yeah, like that first that first year was tough. Um, it was tough for me because do you remember you remember the first game we played against Bishops, the home opener. Yeah, when we lost by one. Yeah. one. we yeah. lost by so we lose by one, right? And Deli and I both have like we make pretty big mistakes that like if you look back, <laughs> like <laughs> it doesn't look good for me. So I'll go I'll go first. So we're up. I think we're up going into the we must, I think we're up going into fourth. We were up last minute of the game. Up last five. minute of the game, and I get I get fouled. Go to the line, make one of two. We come back, get a stop. I get fouled again, go 0 for 2. So now I'm 1 for 4 in the last minute of the game. And we end up losing by 1. And we still had a shot to win. Like, I remember, I remember, like, I remember watching the game. And, like, shot goes up. There's a rabbit. Like, everyone's trying to tip it, tip it. I, I get my hand on the ball. And, like, that's, that's something I've tried to work on a lot this, over my career is, like, getting good tips for us offensive rebounds and stuff. And, like, I'm tipping it. And I know as soon as I touch it, like, it's, it's not going to go in. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, what did you do? Tell them what um, you did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for you saying that, like, that one play isn't going to define how the, how the game went. Yeah. Obviously, you don't see it that way. But, but. In, in that game, uh, in the third quarter, when we were up, like, 15, I believe, I, I missed a dunk, which at, <laughs> <laughs> which at the time was like, oh, I, I missed it, whatever, it was still up. But then ending the game and losing by one, I was the whole, yeah. for a while, I was I thinking, like, wow, that, I, we, I lost that game because I missed that dunk. So It was huge for me because, like, I'm a rookie my first year like this is the ho- the season opener like this is like there's a huge basketball moment for me and I'm like wow like looking back I missed three free throws in the last minute something that like I'm good at like I'm good at shooting free throws you know you learn from it and they're good experiences um so Deli tell me how did you know you were wanted to play basketball like how did you get into basketball well growing up as usually everybody does I was playing a lot of different sports uh soccer was my main sport for most of my childhood playing uh rep and like travel all around Ontario for soccer um, I was into baseball as well when I was young. And then about grade six or seven, I started playing uh, house league basketball with some of like, my good friends. Um, Wait, so you started playing basketball in grade six? Six or uh, grade six. I That's believe. kind of late. Yeah, I, I didn't really get into basketball young. Uh, I wish I did, but um, it was nice to have a variety of different sports. But I played house league with a couple of my best friends. And then the coach of that team ended up making a, uh, a rep team at that time, so a couple of us went over there. And it was a lower tier team that I started playing with. In grade, uh, grade eight is when I started playing rep. And at the same time, I started playing football as well. So I was kind of both between soccer, football, and basketball at that time. So were you able to do that? Like, how, how did, the, did the seasons conflict? I think soccer and basketball conflicted a little bit, football not too much. So it's like at the time, I had to choose which one I wanted to go to over, over this. And uh, I usually I would choose soccer, but that's when I started switching to more wanting to do basketball over soccer. And then grade nine is when I stopped playing competitive soccer. And grade nine is when I stopped playing football because uh, my dad thought it was too dangerous. You know, he's seeing, yeah. seeing stuff on the news about all the NFL players uh, brain, getting brain damage after their careers are done and all that. So he, uh, he took me out of football, which at the time I, I hated it because I really wanted to play, but I'm sure it was a smart move by him. 
And grade nine is when I started focusing purely, purely on basketball. Yeah. You know, so grade nine, you start playing basketball like primarily. Mm-hmm. But when did you really know you were good at basketball? When I was when I was younger, I was a, I was a big kid. I was like, <laughs> I think I was probably about almost the height I was now as a kid. So back then I was huge, but everybody caught up to me. Yeah. So at that time, on that first rep team I played on, after playing a season with that team, uh, I went to AAA, which is like the highest division uh, rep. But my first year with that team, I, I realized I wasn't I wasn't that good relative to everybody else on the team. Um, but making that jump from the lower league to the higher league was like when I was realized I was I was above average and that I could, right. you know, if I put in the work, I could uh, play at the next level. But uh, when you're younger, obviously you have the dreams of uh, of going D1 or all those things when you're younger. But yeah, sure. no, every, the way everything worked out, I'm, I'm happy with how it went. So, Dali, I want to get into a little bit more of an, an introspective conversation, uh, if you will. So, you know, you're, you're a black man at McGill, a student athlete, but also someone who's you know, going to try to take the corporate world by fire. You've recently gotten, a, you've accepted a job, right? Like yep. at, at Ernst & Young in Toronto, you know, accounting whiz, got huge math guy, <laughs> huge numbers guy. But, um, you know, I think, I think there's a, there's a perception that, you know, Canada's more accepting. Like this is, you know, we're not like the United States. Like we're different. How, how has race and color affected your experience? In the corporate world, uh, I've only been in the corporate world to say for the last two summers is when I've been doing my uh, my summer internships with EY, but I don't know if I've experienced a high a high degree of that in the in my situations that I've been in. Uh, definitely, there's not a lot of people in my position that are a varsity athlete, a uh, minority, uh, and and doing accounting and all that. But in all the recruiting events at McGill, McGill is a very diverse school, so there's a lot of uh, diversity at these events that you're going and even working at EY for the last two summers, there's a lot of diversity in, in who, who they hire. So do you think they make an effort to hire diversity? I've just heard from people talking that now like companies have a quota on like how many um, certain ethnicities they have to have with their, with their other employees. Um, I don't know if they make an effort to, I guess, uh, recruit all the, different ethnicities. I guess right. I think they just kind of go for who's who's the best. They don't look at okay. your race, your skin color, thing like that. They just like who's who's qualified and who they get along with for, for the position. And in my circumstances, when I started recruiting in the fall of third year, it was when I was uh, growing my dreads. Hearing it from many people, my, my dad, coach, a lot of things are about first impression. Mm-hmm. And with those dreads, they were saying that the first impression is what people will expect of you. Even if you're you're a nice guy, you know, uh, great student, all that. The first impression they might have of you is something else, because of the the hairstyles I had, um, which I didn't want to accept. But I ended up cutting my my dreads off before recruiting that year, because I thought I'd have a higher chance of rec- uh, yeah. landing a job, which uh, I did end up getting a job. But I do remember, do recall that. Uh, Whoever hired me at EY, I told them that story about me cutting off my dreads because I wanted to kind of, I guess, not have those, uh, restrict, or those barriers, preconceived notions or the barriers uh, restricting me from the job. So I cut it off, but he told me, he's like, he said, to, I remember him saying this to me, he's like, wow, you sold out, man. You shouldn't have cut your dreads. I still would have hired you yeah. even if you had them. But who knows if he means it when he's yeah. saying that. I'm, I'm interested in, in your name as well as your appearance because your name is not... Michael Smith, right? Like your name is Deli Ogundakun. Was was that ever a factor in 
like cutting your dreads, did you think, oh, because my name is this way, like I'm going to have to change my uh, profile? With, with, a, with accounting, a lot of it is like you meet them face-to-face at the cocktail, so you, they kind of put a face to the name. But um, my middle name is Bradley, and my parents, <laughs> my parents uh, gave me that middle name, I guess, in case when I got older or uh, if I wasn't comfortable with my name, Deli, if I wanted to change it to, to Bradley to kind of like... Really? Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I definitely didn't want to know. I, I, love, <laughs> I love the name Deli. It's, a, it's yeah. unique. But uh, there's actually an article I read a couple of years ago uh, I believe it was in America, but I'm not too sure. There was this uh, African American woman applying for jobs, and and based off her well, not based off her name, but she didn't get any uh, interviews or anything with all these jobs. But then she handed in the exact same resume, but changed the name to a more uh, common name, like as you said, like a, a Jane Doe or something like that, a very common name, and she was hired for interviews or accepted for interviews at a lot of places. So that was a couple of years ago, but I'd want to think. Uh, it's not like that nowadays. Uh, I, I haven't had any issues uh, with my name besides people being able pronouncing to pr- pr- pronouncing <laughs> it wrong. Every, so, everybody, sorry. everybody uh, <laughs> over the years and all the commentators of the games, uh, they change it up every time they say it. So the only issues that really with my name is uh, is the pronunciation of it. But uh, I don't think there's been any discrimination uh, work-wise or otherwise for my name. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, I, I obviously am curious, and I just wanted to know what your experience was like. But I'm, I'm also curious about, you know, being a student athlete and now entering the corporate world. Like, do you feel like you have an advantage based on the teachings, you, the, the lessons you learned from coaches and playing on teams? Yeah, playing basketball, it, it teaches you a lot of uh, life lessons and skills that you'll use in, in the workforce. Um, accounting, especially, is a lot of team-oriented work. So... One of the things, the person that recruited me for my job was also a varsity athlete in, in university. So right then we clicked and he knows that everything we go through and everything that we, all the core competencies we get through through um, sport can translate over directly to, to, the, to the workforce. So yeah, everything with the, the teamwork, uh, communication, the leadership role I've had to uh, step into the last couple of years, uh, all that's directly going to translate over to the workforce. And being a, a student athlete, as you know, it's it's tough at times with uh, with school. So you have to be uh, have some time management and be able to juggle a couple things and you know yeah. be focused. You know, we can't we don't have a lot of free time, so we have to take advantage of it to do our work and also want to enjoy enjoy yeah have some, yeah, have some fun as well. So you really got to balance everything. But I think that's uh, definitely helped me out. I'm interested. Like you said, you said you have to do a lot of teamwork and accounting, and you're someone who's used to being a part of a team. Because when I think of people who do accounting, and, and maybe this is this is a false uh, assumption, <laughs> but you think of people who don't necessarily have the experience of working in teams as much. Um, do you ever does that ever frustrate you, like dealing with people who who are not necessarily that inclined to teamwork? Like how do you how do you necessarily motivate people? A, a, a big thing I uh, I realized in accounting. Uh, they're not necessarily looking for the people that are so studious and like 4.0 GPAs because a lot of it is working with teams and you have to be able to enjoy the being around the people you're working with because you're going to be working with them for so long. So at EY, uh, one of the main reasons why I decided to go there was the people because yeah. everybody there is just great and you can work with teams and I haven't had any problems with anybody there. So um, that atmosphere is somewhere where you know you kind of enjoy being with the people you're working with because if not the long hours and stuff would be miserable um yeah cool um kind of the last thing i want to talk about because just talking about ey is um you know 
correct me if I'm wrong, but what, from what I understand about entering um, a job like this is you're, you're kind of investing in yourself in the sense that you, you start in it like an entry level and you work yourself up and stay in the same firm and there's like a huge hierarchy in the, in the job, right? Like that's how, that's how EY is formed? EY is a little different from some other firms, but yeah, you, you can um, climb the ladder yeah, pretty, pretty quick. Ladder. Over the years, going from like junior, intermediate, uh, manager, senior, senior manager. Yeah. So um, obviously, like it's 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 a really great job and a really great place to be. But it, like, you know, looking looking forward on your life, this is the, you know you're going in with the expectation of having a great. Not you have a good job now, but you're looking you're doing it because you want a great job ten years down the road, fifteen years down the road. Do you ever look back and think, do I you know is this is this what I want to do? Like, is Am I am I am I foregoing a lot of years to to do this job? Is that is that scary? Uh, thinking back about that, a couple of years ago, I was thinking, or last year, two years, I was like, if I like decide to work at EY after after school, I was thinking like, this is what I'm going to be doing till I'm fifty. Like this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. But what uh what I've realized, and I think the firms know this as well, is like there's a lot of turnaround in the big four firms because. The main thing everybody's doing that's working. You mean like it. people moving like, from yeah, firm kinda, to firm? Okay. Not not moving from firm to firm, but like kind moving. of leaving the firm or yeah. coming into the firm. But a main thing a lot of us pursuing accounting want to get is our de- designation. So okay. I'm trying to get my CPA designation, which takes about two two years of audit work, uh, audit hours. So you have to work at a company for at least two hours, uh, two years, sorry, and then you have to write an exam as well. So a lot of people come to these firms to get their audit hours, and then. Uh, provided training through the firms, uh, write the exam to get their CPA. And once you have that CPA designation, it adds so much, adds a lot of value to your name that if that's not what you want to do for the rest of your life, you know, there'll be people that will accept you or like the jobs you can get through having that designation. Yeah. Just before we wrap up, I want to touch back on your parents and your experience um, and the lessons that they've given you. So, you know, you obviously by coming to McGill chose a school that was really strong athletically and academically. But do you think, what if you wanted to go to a school that was not as strong a- academically? Do you think your parents would have supported you if you were, like, let's say you had the, the, the Division One dream, it presented itself, and you were at a high major program, but it wasn't to the academic level, McGill. Like, how do you think your parents would have viewed that? Uh, academics is definitely something my parents have been preaching since, since I was a child. Uh, even looking back to my recruiting process, if I wanted to play Division Ones, the only school they really wanted me to go to were, were Ivy League. So looking at that whole process of uh, the recruiting, there's even some you know, D2s I could have gone to. Some people do the JUCO route, but they were really against that based on they didn't know what education I would be getting. So during the recruiting process between the schools I was going, I was looking at, McGill was obviously the best academically, and it's where I thought I would fit best academically and athletically, and my yeah. parents supported that. 100% because they're all about academics. So I feel like if I wanted to choose a different path that wasn't the best academically, I don't know how uh, accepting really? that would have been. You don't, think been you don't think your parents would have uh, supported you if you were like this mom, dad, like this is where I want to go? I feel like I would have to do a lot of convincing, yeah. but they would want me to go somewhere with great academics. Yeah, that's, that's uh, a, That was a high priority. Yeah. Do you Over- think it was higher than basketball for you you and your family? Def- definitely. They They preach academics so uh, they wanted me they were worried more about my education than basketball but over the years um, the last five years my parents have turned into big supporters of of our team so at first 
they were more worried about academics than than athletics. But they've 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 come around over the years. They've been coming to more games, and I think realized that this year about the expiration date because they're coming out to more games this year, um, trying to get to watch as many games as possible because they realize this is like the last years they're going to be able to watch me me live. I mean, it's been a big part of our lives over the last five years. Uh, a lot of time has been committed to this. So for sure. Uh, so before we go, I want to know. What would you be doing at McGill if you weren't a student athlete? This is something I love to ask people when I have on, just because, you know, there's a huge opportunity cost of playing a sport where you could be putting your time to something else, another interest that you might want to pursue. So, what do you, you know, with that said, what do you think your life would be like? Um, not being a student athlete, I feel like I would still be passionate about sports, so I'm yeah. sure I'd be playing in the uh, intramurals or within the, the community and stuff like that, but I feel like I would be more involved, I don't know, in the university atmosphere, not not necessarily. I don't have one interest I would pursue, but the amount of time we put into basketball in school, you don't really live the the normal university experience. So I'd definitely be more involved with, you know, I know there's a a couple clubs I would have joined or stuff like that. Like and, what? What clubs? Well, there there is one, um, the Deseltel Sports Management Club. Okay. But I mean, I feel like I could have done that with basketball. Yeah, like people know. definitely do, but it's just yeah. like all my time is devoted to basketball in school I don't really look at doing much else besides you know when I have free time I just want to relax and enjoy so I don't I guess take on extra things besides school and basketball but if I didn't have basketball taking up all of my time right now I'm thinking I would waste time just be yeah but I think I think that's the normal reaction once like the season's over and now we have all this time and like we don't know what to do with it so like we're just like hanging out playing video games for too long and yeah definitely now that like we have all this free time it's like wow like uh, I I just want to relax yeah but eventually that goes away, and you're like, okay, like it's, t- it's time to start doing some stuff. <laughs> so if I'm sure if like I had a full year, like a full five years of that experience, I'd I'd have a routine and be involved in many things. But yeah, I'd just probably be more involved with more the university atmosphere and fellow fellow students besides uh, yeah. besides athletes. Perfect. Any shout outs you want to give before we go? This uh, is your time. Your thirty seconds. <laughs> this is your plug. plug uh, shout out my parents. Shout out the squad. <laughs> you know. Wouldn't be here without you guys. <laughs> Shout out the coaches. Shout uh, out Noah. Thank you. All right, guys. Deli, thank you so much, <laughs> sir. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. No problem. <laughs> thank you again for listening. This podcast is brought to you by The Bull and Bear. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find all episodes on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Varsity Voice is produced by Zach Lannis and Mairead Shaw. Until next time, support McGill Athletics.